Hello again, everyone. Welcome to this early November episode of Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. I'm Jim Stedman, editor of Cotton Grower. I'm joined again today by my own cotton companion, Beck Barnes. Beck, how are you doing today? Hey, hey, good morning, Jim. Yeah, doing great. Um, it is early November. You wouldn't know it looking out my window right now. I think it's, well, it's like, it's like mid-60s right now. So it's a nice fall day. I wish it were maybe a little bit more crisp, but been getting the itch to get in the deer stand. It's just that time of year. It's cooling off. I know our farmers are, you'll get into it in a minute, but they're getting that crop out of the field, probably getting that same deer stand itch. So uh, it's good. It's a fun time of year. It's a good time of year. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, if we were, I was kind of looking over the USDA crop progress report this week, and it really drove home the point that harvest is running ahead of schedule all across the cotton belt. Uh, I think the numbers they were showing were uh, 62% of the U.S. crops already been harvested compared to 50, a five-year average of 55%. And anytime you can get seven percentage points ahead at this time of year, you've, you've made some real progress on it. Uh, in fact, every one of the cotton producing states that the uh, USDA reports on is currently running ahead of average. So uh, that's good. I think we can credit that to uh, you know, so a, a fairly dry open fall and, and the fact that we've had one hurricane and only one hurricane that didn't do that much damage. So uh, I think there's still work to be done in the Southwest and out in the far West, but uh, the Southeast and the Mid-South certainly have the end in sight and these 60 degree days are certainly gonna help that uh, help that happen. Definitely. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna talk about what's happened and, and what is now happening uh, in one of those Mid-South cotton stronghold states we welcome Brian Pierlisi, Extension Cotton Specialist from Mississippi State University, into the Cotton Companion Studio here in just a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we had a good talk with Brian. You know, I should say that uh, Brian and I come from the same little bitty tiny uh, <laughs> unincorporated area between Leland, Mississippi, and Indianola, Mississippi. And I was, you know, I was thinking about it. He's the little town the little town that he lived in for a while is called long switch and uh i was thinking going into the interview which of us is the favorite son of the long switch slash rexburg uh, community it's got to be brian i mean his star just outshines mine at this point he's the state extension cotton specialist of mississippi on a personal note i love talking to extension guys um you know i love just smart as a whip and and know everything and uh, brian is certainly one of those guys who uh uh, man, he knows what's going on there in the Magnolia State and, and just smart as can be. And, and we were happy to have him come on the podcast. Yeah, well, before, well, before we bring Brian in, um, I do want to express Cotton Growers congratulations to the seven students who were selected as winners of $2,000 scholarships from AMVAC as part of that company's annual Cotton Industry Advancement Scholarship Program. Uh, the winners this year are Andrew Hart, uh, he's a junior at the University of Georgia, majoring in ag engineering. Blaine Allen, uh, a junior at Texas Tech, majoring in agriculture and applied economics and business administration. Uh, Bryce Bullock, a senior at Mississippi State University, majoring in agronomy and integrated pest management. Joshua Lee is a grad student at the University of Georgia, studying crop and soil sciences. Michael Barr is a sophomore at Kansas State University majoring in agronomy. Uh, Nissa Gunthorpe is a senior at the University of Florida, majoring in agricultural operations management. And Seth Permenter, who's from Bells, Tennessee, but is a graduate student attending Mississippi State University. He's studying entomology. 
And uh, this is a great program. I think we've talked with uh, with Paul Vaculin and, and some of the folks down back at this in the, in the past. Uh, applications for next year's scholarship program are gonna open up in January. And uh, if you're interested, you can find out more information about that program online at the AMVAC website, or you can check out the link in our AMVAC scholarship article on cottongrower.com. Well, let's go ahead and welcome Brian Piralisi, Mississippi State Extension Cotton Specialist to today's program. Brian, thanks for taking time to join us today and welcome to the Cotton Companion. Thanks for having me. Uh, when you look across the cotton belt this year and, and the challenges that nearly every region had to deal with, um, how did the year go overall for Mississippi? Um, you know, it, it went pretty good. It was a, uh, it was a quiet year for the most part. Um, we definitely had our challenges and woes, but it was, um, things progressed normally. We just had in the background, some, uh, challenges, um, that were affecting us. And that would have been the drought, you know, that was persistent, that really, you know, raised, reared its ugly head at different times. And then, um, you know, but it didn't hold us back from being timely with our applications. You know, we planted on time. We uh, got all of we weed control was was normal. Um, thrips were heavy, which is normal. Uh, plant bugs were average to light. You know, so all of those things were pretty normal. But in the background is always that drought, and um, and and that that was our biggest, I would say, limiting factor in terms of yield. Um, and then our the next would be. You know exactly opposite the drought we had about a two-week window um in, in late august it was cool and wet which was not ideal and and both of those events you can trace it down to your planning date to how severely affected you were yeah uh, brian i'll tell you speaking of planting you know one thing that that we always keep a close eye on here is those usda acreage reports and the state-by-state -state breakdowns and uh you know this year i believe they had Mississippi pegged at roughly, I believe it was 490,000 acres. And as I'm asking you this question, I'm chuckling, thinking about, I think it was Angus Catchett. One of the Mississippi Extension guys would always on Twitter kind of raise an eyebrow at some of those USDA planted acreage reports. Um, do you feel like that uh, that's a right around where we were, 490,000, you think? Where do you think Mississippi acreage wound up? Yeah, I was just talking to Jim earlier. Uh, I've been holding on to that 490 all year. Um, and I always thought it was a little on the low side because it was lower than our March projection. Um, but if you look on NAS website now, I mean, they have us back up to four, 530,000 acres. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, you can't count every acre and, and know exactly what it's right. But the, my gut feeling that was 490 was low, especially with market prices, even though, um, all of our field crop commodities have good prices. I just felt like we were somewhere in the ballpark of 510 to 515, even with that 490 number. Um, so I, if I were to take a stab at it, I would think that um, it, it was over 490. Um, and, and this 530 is probably a little more realistic and it might be on the high side. Um, but I mean, I think that... Uh, 515 to 530, you know, it could be anywhere in there. I, I, I do feel like the 490 is a little bit low. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll just say briefly, it's, we do our acreage survey and then we watch acreage all year. And so I've kind of, I'm always being a Mississippian, I keep an eye on Mississippi's number. I think 500,000 is a pretty healthy number. 
uh, for our state. I agree. I think so. If you look back, uh, I think it was 2019 was the last year we had, you know, more than that 500,000 acre range. I mean, we had 710,000 acres. And then, uh, you know, we had some, we definitely saw a reduction down to the 500 to 525. And, and in 2021, we were at 445, which made sense to me because we had the wet spring and we were getting late. A lot of cotton was going to get pushed to the uh, late May, early June timeframe. So obviously it made sense to lose 25 to 30,000 acres to beans or something like that. Yeah. But this year being so dry and timely uh, and our projection being 515, 520, I just felt like that's probably where we were. Yeah. And, you know, we should also, prep, let me let me say, God bless those USDA uh, uh, guys who, who come up with these figures, because, I mean, they got to feel like a pinata sometimes. I mean, if they if they get it too high, all the farmers are upset at them for influencing price. And if they get it too low, they get criticized. It's, as you said, Brian, it's a tough job. You can't, you can't get out there and get eyeballs on every single acre in every single state. So, yeah. And then, you know, it takes a while for that, you know, the um, you know certifying your acres and this you know your deadline is what august it used to be whenever i was farming so you know getting all those numbers in i mean you probably don't get a true number until september or you know depending on how timely everybody certified so right well uh on a related usda note uh, this week it seems like there i believe i saw that their crop progress report shows Mississippi at 92% harvested. You, you've been mentioning some of the factors that have, may have some people later than normal. Uh, what are you hearing about yields generally? And, and are any parts of the state, I mean, the Delta compared to the, the hills now, um, the, do any parts of the state look like they fared better than others? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, it's been like that all year. Um, it's, it's been variable all year. Some regions of the state were more fortunate than others in terms of early season rains um, and then getting uh, timely rains in, in, in late June, July. Some areas didn't see rain from May till the end of July. And then uh, so you got the, the, the again, it goes back to the weather and the planting date. Um, some of the earliest planted cotton all year that suffered through the hot May and hot June just didn't get the node count that they needed and and the, and the positions needed to make a good crop. So even under irrigated conditions, it was somewhat limited. Um, and then, you know, that the weather that affected, it, that affected the crop in late August, that was another um, thing that went back to planting date. So you have areas south of Highway 82 that got, you know, 12 to 20 inches of rain versus north of 82 might have got two or three inches. It stayed kind of cloudy and wet. Um, we saw more bowl rot, hard white bowls as a whole south of 82. And then if you get to the central Mississippi, like Pearl River area, those, the river bottom cotton, you know, it had backwater flooding that, you know, all of those crops were pretty much devastated. So, that was during that August deluge? Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess to answer your question, some of the cotton south of 82 might have taken one to 200 pound hit and bowl rot, hard lock bowls. Um, and then that probably ranged from that level of severity to almost total destruction if you had backwater flooding. Um, north of 82, even though it didn't get as much rain, if that the cotton that was opening at the bottom just having foggy, wet, 
damp weather for two weeks, we still saw some bull rot, but it wasn't nearly as severe. Um, so North Delta, even North Hills, like uh, north of Batesville, Senatobia area, we had an OVT up there. It's, it picked some of the best cotton that we've ever picked at that location. Uh, Clarksdale, Tunica, most of that cotton, you know, that was really good. It looked good all year. Um, south of 82 in the Delta, it was still a good crop, but they experienced a little more loss. Um, and then if you go west towards the river down that way, um, Myersville area, they, they, they had a lot of rain and it caught that crop at a bad time. Black Prairie, uh, then again, you know, they got a lot of rain south of 82 in the Black Prairie. North of 82 couldn't catch a rain all year. So that cotton just suffered. Um, so answer your question, it was highly variable in terms of yield across the state from poor to well above average. And I think it's gonna shake out just to be average. Maybe according to the number I've seen, it's a little lower than I suspected, but it's still, you know, slightly below our four or five year average. What What is the number you've seen? You get an average yield per acre number? They had a number of 1,000 1006 pounds for the state yeah and last year we were at well heck they had reduced it to 997 um and then if you look at 18 19 and 20 was a 1141 pounds in 2018 1112 pounds in 19 and 1079 pounds in 20. so we've been it was on a, you know, we've been hanging in that 1100 to 1000 pound range. And so that the four year average prior to this year was 1082 pounds. Yeah. So this would be slightly below that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an intriguing number for like, I wonder, wonder how I can get my hands on that report. We'll talk about it after the, after we uh, interview you, Brian. It could, like you said, I mean, there's still, I, there, I know of some cotton out in the field, so it's not all said and done. Right. Definitely. Now, now, Brian, based on, uh, lessons learned this year uh what suggestions uh are you going to have are you going to bring out in your winter meetings on things that growers need to do to adjust uh going into the 23 season you know what's what are the what are the important things they're going to need to keep in mind at this point it's always variety selection being the number one thing and we're in kind of uh so new territory in terms of variety selection than we were uh and then uh fertility programs and with the cost of fertilizers and uh, uh, just use efficiencies. Um, I know a lot of guys are in, in certain parts of the state are no-till and cover crop and then just understanding, you know, systems that work well for them. And, um, but the overall, it being variety selection, we ought to have a lot of our data up really soon. Um, we're, we're almost through with our OVTs. I'm gonna try to get that up on the blog. Uh, as well as our county trial information. But, you know, we're, for years, you know, you always had a variety that's out there, you know, that you knew you were going to plant and plant it well across acres. And um, and with the Bogart threes we've been working with, we're still trying to find that the variety or two or three that are you can count on across, uh, you know, in, environment, agronomic practices and regions. So, and, you know, we, we there there's a lot of good varieties, but we just have limited, you know data on them you know from one year to the next so we're just trying to get build a database of new varieties you can say well they historically performed well here you know across you know dry years wet years or what have you 
And in terms of, uh, I think we're going to see it, you know, with nitrogen, like this year, uh, some people that went, that did their standard practice, maybe applying nitrogen at a certain time and just didn't catch a rain, you know, we're, we're going to try to, you know, uh, just work, you know, just try to hedge your risk by maybe splitting applications, making sure you get that incorporated. And, uh, you know, just because some people, I know a few people that, you know, waited a little while, put their nitrogen out, and then it just didn't rain. So it just sat there. Um, and the same is true for, same is true for potash and potassium. I think we'll see, you know, a shift towards uh, really watching your soil test, uh, managing your uh, potassium in, in season to look at your case status by doing tissue analysis, just to make sure you have enough banked up for late season bowl demand. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about foliar applications. Um, you know, just being mindful that that's a good supplemental practice to your soil base, but just to, if you're going to make these applications, you know, have some kind of a basis for what you're doing it for and knowing your tissue levels and, you know, and understanding that if you see deficiency, that leaf's not going to take up what it needs. You know, you want to try to catch that, knowing your sufficiency ranges before you get to that point. Um, so I just think it's, it's critical to be on top of fertility, variety, and use efficiency of, of, of these products. Yeah, I know there are a couple of new trait technologies that are, that are out there that we may see on, a, on sort of a stewarded or very limited basis this year. Uh, anything that growers are especially excited about looking, looking ahead? You know, there's still that question about Thrive On, exactly when it's going to be released. You know, I, I don't know that date. I don't know if anybody does. If they do, I'd love to know it. Um, but, you know, we've seen, we've done a lot of work with it and uh, it, it's something to be excited about, especially if thrips are an issue. Uh, I do a lot of the just yield performance testing on it. And, you know, I, it, they've got some, uh, the yields are as good or better. I mean, they're still, the technology's there. I mean, they'll still be trying to find that variety, but they, the, they have the, the capabilities. There's no yield lag with the trait. So th that would be something, uh, you know, we've done, there's a, a few other things that I've worked with coming down the pipe. I don't know that I'm at liberty to really talk about everything. This all still kind of held up by, for the same reasons. Definitely. Now, again, we've all kind of ridden this cotton price roller coaster this year. We started, the year started out great and then it got a little bit better. And then suddenly it, we hit that, that great big drop in the, uh, on the ride. Uh, and now I, I think it's safe to say that ride's continuing uh, a little bit. How much of an impact do you think price is going to have on, on your acres in Mississippi next year and, and maybe the cropping choices that growers have? Um, I think that based on, you know, based on the prices that we have now, I mean, we're in harvest. It's historically the lower, I mean, the price is going to be usually lower at harvest. And, um, and it, I could be wrong. I, I, even if it at the, at the current prices, I think our acres are going to stay close to the same. I think it'd have to take a very significant drop, mainly because this is like a, I call it our core acres. We have cotton producers that are set up to grow cotton. They have the infrastructure, they have the means, they have the equipment. And is, they're just not going to abandon that because there's so much tied into it. You know, so I feel like we're going to stay where we've been over the past couple of years, you know, even if the prices dip a little bit from where they are. Um, most of what I've re researched and read about the support and the prices, I mean, I feel like we're going to, 
stay in this range, might see another peak or two rise. It depends on how it all shakes out. But, um, you know, once we get into over 530 to 600,000, 700, I think that's where we have a lot of marginal acres that could go either way. Okay. Well, you know, I think this is probably a really good place to, uh, to wrap it up for today. Uh, Brian, I know you're busy and we appreciate you taking time to join us. Uh, I think it's it's safe to say for most growers right now, they, they want to get those pickers put away and, and head for the deer stands and get ready for the holidays. So uh, uh, again, appreciate your time. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at Beltwide in January. Yeah, I'll be there. We appreciate you, Brian. Thank you, sir. Yeah, Beck, take care. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. Uh, we do want to send a special thanks to the Mississippi State Cotton Extension special extension cotton specialist, I, I should say, uh, Mr. Brian Paralisi for joining us. And as always, we want to thank you, dear listener, for joining us as well. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed the episode. And if you do like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, be sure to spread the word, tell a friend, tell a friend to tell their friend. And uh, here's where and how they can find the Cotton Companion podcast. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. The Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. I'm Jim Stedman. He's Beck Barnes. And we'll be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made it for him. Yeah, he works.